What's the latest, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the In the Paint Show presented by Ball is Life. Ronnie Flores and Devin Ubin with you here for episode number 63. Uh, today, Ronnie, we're going to open with our thoughts on the first two episodes of The Last Dance, um, which, you know, as, as we see on Twitter, everyone is uh, was excited about and had plenty of hot takes about. Then we're going to move into our thoughts on uh, top high school prospects Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd opting for the G League route um, to, instead of uh, going to college. And then we're going to welcome on Rivals National Basketball Recruiting Analyst Eric Bossy to discuss his thoughts on um, you know the current state of, of, of college basketball recruiting and even get his thoughts on the Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd decisions. Um, and finally, at the end, we're going to talk to um, 221 point guard Issa Silva about his college commitment, um, kind of a, an early pledge from him. Um, but Ronnie, let's begin with the last dance. What was your, I have my takeaways, but I want to get your first thought from what you saw in the first two episodes on Sunday. Um, yeah, Devin, I appreciate it. The, what I saw the immediately came to mind is, you know, Michael Jordan is kind of like, looks like his dad. He talks like his dad. And it's like, wow, time is going by. I think, you know, 20 years, 23 years, whatever the case may be there. And it's like, you get a good feel for it because if you didn't read the newspapers back then, you probably didn't know some of these details. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the book, the Jordan rules did a really good job of kind of uh, laying out the foundation for what we're hearing now. Now, obviously the interviews are good and I'm sure the interviews and the upcoming episodes, especially with Dennis Rodman and some of those characters are going to be really good, but it, it, the interviews give a lot of credence to what that book was saying and what was going on at the time. I, I knew Michael Jordan was making $30 million. Uh, it, it was well-spoken in, in the LA times, Orange County register, press telegram. They, they covered that well, that there was a rift there and that there was a good chance that Jordan wasn't coming back for the 98-99 season. That was pretty much well-known then. So yeah. I don't – I mean, I think a younger fan might be like, wow, they broke this team up. Like, people yeah. knew the team wasn't going to be back. Right. You know, as that season was going on or, or whatnot, uh, the tension was there. I didn't know – again, you know, 20 years go by, you don't know, it was it was it Krauss or Reinsdorf? You don't really remember. You know they had an issue. You know, so I think Jerry Krauss is a big – part of this doc and because he's now no longer with us and Michael Jordan in essence controls this content it's <laughs> not a surprise that Krauss doesn't look good in this you know what I mean right you know it's not a surprise but I don't think Krauss looks that bad here's my, yeah here's my thing you know that brings my first takeaway was I mean this dude was a baseball scout and comes over to basketball and does one hell of a job putting a championship team together right yeah that's Dude, you hit it on the nail on the head. It talks a little bit about loyalty, talks a little bit about business. I think it's a good eye-opener for young basketball players and young people that maybe don't know the whole history of the game is to look at how much bigger the money got quickly from the time Reinsdorf kind of hired Krauss in, let's say, the early 80s to pair to 10 years later or 12 years later in the mid-90s. Like, the money was astronomical mm -hmm. compared to what Jordan was making his rookie year in 84-85. So that, that's a good kind of a lesson there and then as you said a guy coming over from a baseball scout and I got the takeaway that he did his job and like you said did it good yeah 
again, the optics of a video, the optics of what he looked like. He's kind of a scruffly guy. You know, Jordan called him crumbs and he's kind of the butt of jokes. But at the end of the day, he was there before these players and he was there after them. So right. what does that tell you? From I mean, a, yeah, from a production standpoint, yeah. if they wanted to make Jerry Krause out to be the villain, they did a good job. Yeah. Because they kind of use the jokes about him being short and that yeah. all, you know everyone making fun of him for being short and kind of weird looking um, yeah. sure. to paint him as a as a as a villain. Um, but is that fair? I don't know. You you have to kind of look from the top down, right? In an organization, so Jerry Reinsdorf allowed all this stuff to go on right. with the players going at Kraus the way they did. And sure, maybe he wasn't a likable guy. I don't know. Maybe he was yeah. doing things behind the scenes to you know move players. But I mean. Isn't that his job to explore trades and yeah. look for the best possible outcome for his team, for the organization, for uh, the budget, for the bottom line, making yeah. money? Um, and yeah, go ahead. What were you gonna say? Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. I think if you Pippen wasn't a spring chicken in '98, it's '97, '98. Obviously, Jordan wasn't. And I think what's being left out here is that those two years that Jordan left, let's just say a year and a half, especially the 93, 94 season, the bulls were competitive and good. They won 55 games. Pippen was the guy. Yeah. And Pippen was the guy. He didn't win the championship. Right. So what is Cross and Reinsdorf thinking? Okay. We're going to pay this guy and Rodman and Phil Jackson, a boatload of money. And Jordan, and if Jordan retires, we don't have a championship team. Mm -hmm. So I think people kind of learn from the eighties teams. Like, we're not going to let Bird, McHale, Chief, and those guys just get old and be competitive, put a gang of miles on them, but not win the championship. I think GMs start thinking, you know what? If we can move somebody when they still have value, we got to explore it. So whether it's Kemp or another young star, if they would have got younger, they might have tried to do it, as other teams did. The Lakers tried to do it with James Worthy and Roy Tarpley. I mean, they were really close to making that trade, too. So you just... Now, remember, the, the Pistons made a trade to get Aguirre, who was younger than Adrian Dantley. So it worked out a few times after those Celtics teams when people realized that the Celtics were no longer going to win championships. I think it kind of changed the, the outlook of teams. Like you said, I'm as long as it's not Jordan, we're going to ex explore trades. Everybody's tradable. Now, maybe, like you said, it came out in the public wrong. The way Reinsdorf was and, and Krauss were just talking about it, like openly yeah. speaking. That kind of came, I'm sure it rubbed Pippen the wrong way. So we get that. But at the end of the day, like you said, I thought he, the trade for Pippen for Olden Polonese was like golden to get Horace right. Grant. Like, right. you know, who, who, you, you know, you're being traded. You can even see on the video that he goes, yeah, you're wearing the wrong hat, dude. You're, you're getting traded to Chicago from, from Seattle. So I, I think it was all those sound bites and all that video was really good, made it for good drama. Obviously, Jordan has a lot to say now. You know, he grew up really, uh, as he talks about it when he's younger, uh, his mom had a big stranglehold on him. His parents, you know, hardworking people. His mom didn't like him really cursing. He kind of made a joke about it uh, with the when he was with the Olympic teams in L.A. He and some reporter asked him, you know, hey, how does he like to play for Coach Knight? You know, he's like, it's good. This guy's a great coach. He's like, I can do it without the cursing. You know, my mom doesn't really like it, but everything else is good. You know, like. Mm -hmm. And now you just see Jordan, and he's like, he's just letting the F-bombs flow, you know? <laughs> yeah. the, the, the lower and lower that drink got on the table, yeah. the yeah. more the more uh, cursing and, and cussing yeah. came out. 
which Another is good. I think it's good. It's because yeah, it's you know what yeah. I mean. No, I don't. I don't give a shit about that. You know that I've been cursing yeah. since I was two years old. Yeah. But um, um, another thing that stood out to me, Ronnie, was the reaction that was on Twitter after everyone saw uh, Scottie Pippen's contracts and what he yeah. made with the Bulls. So the rookie deal, obviously, in the late '80s, were you know, you know, pennies on the dollar compared to what they are now. Sure. Uh, but then you know, Pippen um, signed a seven-year, eighteen million dollar extension and admitted that he signed that deal because he needed that guaranteed money to take care of his, his family. Yeah. Large family, a couple of his family members were um, paralyzed in wheelchairs and he needed that guaranteed money to feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Devin, I don't know if you, you uh, definitely got that, that, uh, you know, it goes a lot to show you whether it's Jordan Pippen, whoever, again, we'll get into Rodman in the future episodes is how much your childhood has a bearing on your thought process, you know, yeah, what you're going through and what you learn. Um, it seems to me that people are more mad for Pippen than Pippen was mad at himself. Now he right. may be a little embarrassed. Maybe his ego's a little hurt. He's obviously come, you know, it's been time. So time heals a lot of things, but, yeah, he might be a little embarrassed, but I think he still looks at his dude. I took the money and I didn't make the wrong choice. His mom was definitely like, you know, I'm so happy for my son. I'm proud of him. He did a great job. You know, again, the money got huge. Like we mentioned a few minutes ago, the money got so much bigger by the end of that contract with everybody's contract around the league. Uh, could the Bulls have saved face and, and restructured? Yeah, but if they weren't going to plan on keeping him after 98, <laughs> Right. A lot of people, yeah, a lot of people killed the Bulls for not restructuring the deal. But again, if you if you take yourself out of yeah. being a fan of Scottie Pippen or you know wanting the players to have the money they deserve, which he deserved more money. Don't get me wrong, he definitely deserved more money. The Bulls operated under the assumption that they were gonna cut him loose after '98. Yeah. And why would why would we restructure his deal over this last the last two or three years if we know that he's not going to be with us for the long term? Yeah. They did what was best for their organization from a financial standpoint, and you know they got six rings out of Scottie Pippen, and you know unfor unfortunately for Pippen, you know he he signed that deal, and Reinsdorf said that he told him not to sign that deal, which was interesting yeah. to me as well. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, I think, like you said, those comments were strong like stood out. And again, back to what you're saying about Kraus, if he's going to make a desirable trade, isn't, doesn't the trade make more sense that the other team would want to do a deal if Pippen is not having a screwbering contract, like a ridiculously big, they're more willing to make a deal. Mm -hmm. So why are they going to give him more money when they're essentially he's on the they're trading block? They're trying to deal and they're not going to give him more money because it's going to lessen the, his trade value. They, yeah, especially back then when huge yeah. money was not normal. Like Michael Jordan was making 30 plus million dollars a year, but that was the only guy making that kind of money. Yeah. It's not like now where Mike Conley's making 30 million dollars a year. Yeah, no, that Mike, I think Mike Conley in the 90s, Mike Conley's making, yeah. making 10 million dollars max in the in the 90s, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, he's not making that type of money, and a lot of players weren't. So, I, I think. It goes to show that I think when you see the draft and you they talk about it, and I think Reinsdorf and Kraus are like, dude, we lucked up into this pick. Like, this yeah. is going to work for us. 
they knew it right away, probably within the first month or two of that rookie season. Um, and I think they didn't think, you know what, you guys are other good pieces. Like Jordan is the man and the guy we're going to pay. He's the reason why we're like winning these six championships. You guys are parts of it, but don't get it twisted. If, if we're not paying, if he's gone, we're not paying you guys. For sure. Phil Jackson. You know what I mean? Like, they're not going to pay Phil Jackson a shitload of money. No, no. And it, and it, it, that showed in yeah. the interesting dynamic that I noticed. It was it was turbulent from front office to player to uh, coach. You know, they told Phil Jackson it's going to be his last year, and he you know he still had to go out and coach the team. Yeah. Um, under under those front out office people, um, I wasn't you know you know I was you know playing outside, riding my bike, or yeah. playing baseball back then. So. Uh, that part's interesting to me is seeing how turbulent the front office was and the the dynamic among players, coaches, and and front office members. But they were still able to overcome it and win all those titles. Uh, is that because just Jordan was so good? Yeah, I, I think it's because they're Jordan Lee in the way their drive, their uh, inner drive to to win for themselves, regardless of their salary, regardless of their uh, contractual status. Uh, to put it aside the distractions, I think also younger people got to see, and I we've talked about it before, Devin, on various pods, is the pressure, how popular these guys were, especially like Rodman is super popular. Rodman yeah. is probably one of the top five to seven popular players of all time. Like, for, for, for reasons, basketball and beyond, yes. Yeah, like just beyond the, the scope of basketball, he's super popular. Yeah. And Jordan is just that big. Like, I think people got an idea for how big this guy is. Like, kids are like, I don't want Christmas. I don't want toys. I want to go see Jordan. Like, yeah, I thought that was funny. World. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. how big these guys got in a span of six to eight years or whatever. Basically, from the time of the Dream Team to that 97 season, like, this guy's one of the biggest brands in the world, just, just himself. So right. the picture of that, I think they handled it really well, obviously. And and that's Michael Jordan's probably, you know, his domineering ways. Just, hey, guys, let's do it my way. Let's do it good. Let's let's play hard and, and, and try to close this thing out right. This is probably our last year. Like you said, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. You know, you won't see, you'll see a lot of guys tanking that. And many other guys would have tanked that. In yeah. My, yeah. I think another, you know, thing the production team did well with uh the drama side of things was kind of setting up scotty pippen's story and teasing a percent i mean i hope they have a, a 30 for 30 or some kind of documentary on scotty pippen's rise i think for me that's the more most intriguing storyline to come out of the first two episodes is you know a kid who you know played high school basketball, come from, came yeah. from a huge family, uh, uh, a poor family in yeah. Arkansas, uh, you know, becomes a team manager at Central Arkansas. What was like six a 6'1 guy, right, his freshman year, and then grew, you know, six, seven, eight mm -hmm. inches, whatever the legend is, yeah. uh, and became, you know, a top 50 player of all time. I think yeah. that's a story that I want to see. Um, do you remember anything about Scottie Pippen, the college player? Yeah, I remember they started talking about him a lot in like Sports Illustrated and like various, I don't know, sport magazine or whatever it was. This guy from Central Arkansas is really moving up the charts. Teams are going to have to take a look at him. Uh, so in that draft, David Robinson was going to be the number one pick no matter what. And he was 
sitting out two years. Um, right? He was in the Naval Academy, and yeah. whoever got the pick was going to wait on him. I mean, mm -hmm. he was just that dominant. Uh, and then J.R. Reed, who's a freshman at North Carolina, really came on. And people were like, wow, this guy goes to the draft. He'll be the number two pick behind um, Robinson. And so then you had like uh, Armin Gilliam, who was at UNLV, Dennis Hobson, I believe. And then Reggie Williams, who we talked about just on our last ball with Baltimore Dunbar. He was a senior now at Georgetown, and he was a four-year great player. So those guys were on the mix there. Um, but people started talking about Scottie Pippen, like in little mock drafts in the LA times or whatever it was, you know, at that time sport or, or sporting news magazine. I didn't know too much about him, but I knew he was supposed to be a good prospect and like really coming on mm -hmm. like this guy from central Arkansas, like, and I guess the bulls really liked them. Obviously Krauss made those statements like, uh, you know, we really like this guy. And it's funny because the Clippers picked the Clipper, you know, the Clippers, the Clippers, they picked Reggie Williams four. And then, you know, obviously Seattle picked for Chicago. Again, yeah. so I, I remember uh, some people saying, and somebody said it in the documentary, Krause does deserve credit, but he wants too much credit. But like, that's big time stuff right there. You know, yeah. like Seattle, you trade, you... At the number five pick with all these seniors in the draft, not like now, you more proven commodities. You pick this NAIA player for us, mm -hmm. and we're going to trade with you. That's that's pretty ballsy, like you yeah, know. It really is amazing, and it goes yeah. to show how yeah scouting has changed and how NBA draft has changed. Where yeah, you know, it's more likely a team in that range takes a chance on a younger uh, younger player who played at a at a mid to high major program. Um, rather than digging into their scouting department and watching an NAIA player. How many NBA scouts do you think, Ronnie, in the last 15 years have gone to an NAIA game? Not, not a yeah. whole lot, right? Well, I mean, they ha I would think they'd have to get a recommendation yeah. from like a Frank Burleson or other guys who, who have, uh, you know, obviously like when Dave Talop was in, in um, the high school scouting world, you know, now he's a GM. Uh, I'm sorry, he's a scout with uh, the Spurs. You know, that unless you're getting a recommendation, I don't think you're like running to NAIA schools. You know right. what I mean? Like you gotta hear it or see them at a at a, a Nike, you know, skills academy, skits invited there or something. You know, it's more one stop shop. I think there's more one stop shopping now, obviously. Yeah. At yeah. various, you know, Nike skills academies and various other places where uh, players are are live, you know. Yeah. So, um I I uh I think that's changed. There's where you know there was a, a lot of good seniors, you know. Um that's just the bottom line. Uh there was a lot of good seniors in that draft and in other drafts. And it's very interesting how Scotty came to be, like you said. I think Dennis is also in that boat. You know, he's from Dallas. He didn't even play high school, high school uh basketball, and he grew 10, 11 inches. Obviously, we'll hear more about that in the coming weeks. Uh, yeah. All those guys had a very interesting beginnings. Even um, when we talk about Jordan, you know, he was more like 6'4-ish. He wasn't the state player of the year. You know, I'm going to talk about it in, in the future. Maybe, as I'm sure we're going to hit on it, there's 10 episodes of so five more weeks, is uh, like Jordan's beginning. That that was interesting to me. And, and Roy Williams kind of talked a little bit about it. 
not much, but he's pretty engaging. I think people like Roy Williams. They like to hear him talk. You know, he, he's a good soundbite. And yeah. like, you know, some people thought this guy was just going to be a local player. Oh, they just took the local player. Uh, you know, he's wasn't the state player of the year. He famously wasn't like one of listed as one of the top 500 players in the country. In street. Right. That's a famous story. So Jordan started using all these slights to like really fuel himself. You know, the cutting from the team as a sophomore. Um, obviously, he had some talent. He was kind of short, 5'10". So they kept the senior on the squad. Leroy Smith is, is the, you know, the name to fame. And he's 6'7". He's going to help the varsity. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. You know, Jordan, this freaking Leroy Smith, I, I can't stand this guy. So Jordan goes to hotels and motels and uh, wherever else he signs his name, Leroy Smith, just to kind of, uh, obviously to keep people from knowing what room he's in because he's Michael Jordan, but also to kind of remind himself, I somebody doesn't like me out there. I'm not wanted. You know, those kind of slights that Jordan kind of creates, those sure. are interesting to me. You know, yeah. that. Um, I know his mother was very, uh, happy for him. And, and like you said, kind of, she comes off as a religious or kind of very humble family oriented is Jordan scored 30 points in that McDonald's game and he didn't get the MVP and his mom was pissed. <laughs> his mom was pissed. He didn't get the MVP Devin when he had a 30 points in the McDonald's game. So again, that's just another thing that fueled his fire. You know what I mean? Who who got that MVP award? Uh, Adrian Branch, who went to Maryland, he got he had twenty four points. He's on TV now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's on like ESPN two or like ESPNU. He's pretty, you know, pretty good college player. Yeah, so those things, little things like that are just very interesting. Yeah, I want to hear more of those. Like, you know, does something else happen in that ninety eight season that besides the Kraus Reinsdorf thing that really drives Jordan? I guess we'll find out. Maybe it's. Dennis Rodman acting crazy or something, and he has to try to control. Who knows? We'll, we'll find out. Yeah, we'll find out. It's going to be plenty more episodes to watch in the coming weeks. Uh, but speaking of McDonald's All-Americans, Ronnie, we didn't get to see uh, the 2020 edition of the game, but um, a couple McDonald's All-Americans making some noise recently, Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd, um, both opting for the G League route over college. Um, obviously, Isaiah Todd was – committed to play at Michigan, decommitted, and that uh, you know delivered a big blow to Juwan Howard's recruiting class. Um, yeah. But Jalen Green was a different story, Ronnie. He never really led on to you know who his favorite school was, was always kind of looking at the, the college recruitment process as leaving it open to the professional route. Sure. And he took the professional route. And he's a guy who will probably benefit from – this revamped uh, G League route, um, which includes, Ronnie, I read a story from Jonathan Giovanni from ESPN who kind of has all the inside scoop on, um, you know, uh, NBA draft and especially this new G League pathway. You know, Jalen Green's going to make, you know, that $500,000 base salary. Yeah. He has the ability to profit off of name, image, and likeness. And yeah. Giovanni said that there's a six to seven figure shoe deal waiting for Jalen Green. So he could potentially, if it's a say it's the lowest seven figure shoe deal possible, he can make one point five million dollars a year removed. Yeah. A year removed from high school playing twenty games. Like yeah. So this G League, it's not the traditional one that you know Darius Baisley went through where he played a regular G League schedule. It's more of a professional development program where the team's gonna be based out of Southern California. 
It's going to include, you know, kind of a mentoring program with NBA executives, NBA veteran players, helping these kids, you know, earn life skills, prepare for that 2021 NBA draft. They're going to play 10 to 12 G League games against G League teams. It's not going to count against the G League standings. They're going to play against NBA academies from across the world. They're going to play against four national teams from across the world. Um, So, and they have opportunities to make um, money by attending community events and attending the life skills programs presented by the G League. So, I mean, if you look at it that way and the top five to 10 prospects in the country can go make, you know, 500 K guaranteed and potentially more with shoe deals and endorsements, it's a, it's a, an intriguing route for top high school prospects. What do you, what are your thoughts on it, Ronnie? Yeah. uh, My initial thought is, is that as you said, intriguing and it financially makes sense. I think that does for Jalen green. Yeah. For him, you know, and his, his uh, dynamic, what do you call it? Maybe his markability. Yep. Um, I'm not sure every kid is like that, especially in this 220 class. Uh, obviously, he plays the position that people want to see. High flying type of player. Uh, has the nice smile. You know, can talk pretty well. Has a nice story. I, I think it works for him. And like you said, if there's a high six figure or seven figure shoe deal, it's almost. A no-brainer, especially in the light, Devin. We don't exactly know how this 220-221 college season is going to go. Sure. Is it going to be later? Is it going to be shorter? Is there going to be no fans? Uh, you know, at all? Yeah, I mean. I mean, at this route, Jalen Green looks smart. I mean, in yeah, terms of now. No doubt. You just don't know the future. And we're going to talk a little bit about that maybe with our guest, Eric Bossy, coming up. But, um. You know, obviously, this is kind of like the brainchild of, of Sharif Abdul Rahim and Rod Strickland, who kind of working with in this G League to, you know, they kind of made the um, point that they want to see high level development if they're not in college here in the States. Like, why does a kid have to go to Australia or another uh, foreign land or foreign league to kind of get uh, top notch training to kind of have a. Uh, a pathway to the NBA. So um, I think it's a trial and, and and it's a good start or a good kid to trial with, to tell you the right. truth. Yeah. Because yeah, that, that initial G league yeah. pathway yeah. they set up was the, the base salary was 125,000 and yeah. they went back and realized that they, you know, like RJ Hampton went to Australia, yeah. LaMelo ball went to Australia and yeah. they were like, why, why are they going to Australia? If we have this, you know, G League here that yeah. could serve as a minor league in a way to get to the NBA. And they realized that 125,000 didn't come close to what they were offering in Australia, which was, you know, around that $500,000 range. So like you said, um, they upped the money, they went back, they revisited, see how they could get better. They upped the money, put in more of a, a development team that you know, features, you know, high school guys who, you know, feel comfortable playing together. Yeah. Um, and I think from what I read, they've re- you know they they reached out to Evan Mobley, they reached out to Terrence Clark, but both of those guys opted to go to their respective college choices of USC and and Kentucky. Um, but like you said, they have, uh, you're offering more guys. Yeah, I, I would think they would want to get an they're testing, old, yeah, they're testing two twenty more of the high school guys in two twenty. Yeah, yeah. But like you said, I think it, it makes a lot of sense for 
a guy like Jalen Green because of his marketability, because of the position he plays yeah. and how his game kind of fits and translates to the modern NBA more so than an Evan Mobley. Yeah. Uh, who's, who's a big man, um, still developing offensive skills. Obviously Evan Mobley is one of the best yeah. you know, defensive big mans in, in the country. It's going to be a, a huge college player uh, if, and when the college season begins and, and, um, um, but it, it makes a whole lot of sense for Jalen Green. Um, yeah. I, I agree. Do, you this, do you see this catching on uh, with more of the upper echelon prospects in 221 and 222 as we carry on with it for the next you know couple of years here? Well, I think, uh, you know, back to your point, I think it makes sense because, again, I think people had also obviously the, the, the money, 125K was an issue, but also, like you mentioned, Evan Mobley. Let's just picture, take him as an example. Sure. You want him for a full G league schedule to be banging with some 28 year old guy. That's uh, gonna, you know, be the 12th man on an NBA roster or maybe the two way guy. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that was the concern there, but when with, with Raheem and, and with Ross Strickland are doing, or like you said, playing him a much shorter schedule, maybe a little bit more emphasis on development and playing uh, uh, a, a shorter schedule than like you said, Guys who are 25, 26, 27 who want to die to get one 10-day two-way contract, that's not the position Evan Mobley is going to be in in a couple of years. So I don't think, like you said, it makes much sense for him. I think, to, to tell you the truth, we got to see what happens with Green and then got to see what really happens with COVID-19 and with the college season and, like, how is this really going to play out? If, if this college season is, like, a wash, I, I'm not saying it is. I, I, don't, I don't think anybody completely knows. You know, what does that mean for recruiting college right now? And we'll, we'll talk more about that with our guests and, and in a future pod, a pod 64 is right now. It seems like a shit show, Devin. It's oh, yeah. Uh, uncertainty with guys in mid majors wanting to get to the high major level. The transfer portals out of control. 220s are in limbo. So why why be in limbo? If you're going to be in limbo, Devin, why not get paid to be in limbo? If, I don't, you, if yeah. you have the ability to get paid. Yeah, and, and you you know and and you know get paid and in say the college season is a wash and yeah. we don't have a college basketball season which would be a horrible you know uh, turn on this but again Jalen Green if the college season ends I highly doubt that the G League is going to go right or yeah. the NBA or college football or whatever yeah. so Jalen Green's getting paid 500k to what work out yeah by himself or if the NBA is able to put together like a, a, for lack of their term, a quarantine program where those guys are still able to work out at, at a facility, like he's working out making 500 K while all these other dudes are sitting in yeah. their ass and going to class. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm not Dr. Dino, so I can't tell you. I mean, at the uncertainty Indians, it's kind of like you said with Pippen. The uncertainty, there's nothing wrong with taking the, the guaranteed money. Sure. You know, so in that token, uh, good luck to them. Good luck to the G League and, and to Raheem and to Strickland and getting this, you know, off the ground. We'll see how it goes. It makes yeah, sense for certain guys, I think, uh, yeah. to ask the original question. There's always going to be three or four guys. Now, the question I would have for Bossy or anybody else who is privy to it is, do the co top colleges now go, okay, this guy's going to be G League guy. Why are we even recruiting him? You know, yeah. like you got to start looking yeah. at that. You know, right? No, that's for sure going to be interesting. You look at you look yeah. at uh, you know Jalen Green. You know, he wasn't 
really considering those blue blood traditional programs like a Duke or North Carolina or Kentucky, his final two were Auburn and Memphis. Yeah. Um, So obviously North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky, you know, didn't really, um, I mean, I'm sure they pursued him at some point, but once they realized that the G league route was, you know, on the table or professional route was on the table and he's considering Memphis or Auburn as his final two, you know, they had to look elsewhere. Um, But it's going to be interesting to see, um, like those top level guys in 221, like uh, who's coming to my mind? Chet Holmgren. Who's another top 21, 221 guy? Uh, Paolo Banchero or Jonathan Kuminga. Jonathan Kuminga. Guys like that. If they're if Patrick they're Baldwin. yeah, Patrick Baldwin. If their recruitments kind of shift and change, and that's what we're going to talk about with Bossy, is how this you know G League route and how they are kind of targeting the NBA is kind of targeting these top level prospects to be guys who come in and usher in this, this new wave. If this is going to be like, okay, so North Carolina is going to take a shot on a top 25 guy and, you know, yeah. shift their recruiting standpoint. Top five guy. Yeah. From top five guy to a top 20 to top 30 guy. You never, who knows? It's going to be interesting to see. But again, I think you're right with, you know, this, it's going to work for a, a guy like Jalen green. Um, and I think, if it does catch on, there's going to be hits and misses, just like there are hits and misses with the one and done. Yeah. Uh, you know, Kevin Garnett, Kobe Bryant hits. Uh, Eddie Curry miss. Yeah. Who else was a miss? Yeah. Marvin Bender got hurt, miss. Yeah. Um, there's plenty so, of misses. Plenty of misses. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this impacts the recruiting landscape, especially at the, the blue blood level, who, you know, which teams are used to getting. You know, guys who are one and done, like a Calipari. Uh, you know, his turn his turnover rate at Kentucky is insane with guys coming in and moving out and then him just reloading. I don't think it's gonna be like that anymore. What do you think? Yeah, I think uh if they lose two or three top guys per year that they were getting, you know, you definitely have to look at getting, you know, maybe a guy who wasn't your first first uh choice, quote unquote, to begin with. So uh, it could change the landscape of college a little bit only because the top guys kind of decide where the next tier go. Yeah. Right. If I'm college, Joe Blow college, I'm looking at Jalen Green before Isaiah Todd. That's just being honest. I think most people would agree with that. If I can get yeah. Jalen Green, I'm getting him before Isaiah Todd. So if I don't get Green, then I'm going after Todd. And then if I have a guy who seems to be more engaged in going to my college than Todd and they're about the same ability. I'm going after that other guy. If I think Todd might waver and say, you know, he might go pro or, you know, uh, his family's not as well off as the other kid's family, uh, or he's not in as good academically. I'm going to go for the other guy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go for Zaire Williams because he made more off to go to college. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I could see that. Again, if you have a chance to recruit the green Evan Mobley, you're going to have to do it regardless. Yeah. Get started. But the next tier, guys, you can go a different, all kind of different routes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to the, what did we said about David Robinson, the spur, or, and we met Hakeem. I think you heard uh, the GMs and the owners say, no matter what, Akeem was going number one. But after that, you can go in different ways. Same thing with David Robinson and same thing with uh, green and Mobley. Yeah, I think I think Eric Bossy just popped in, uh, national basketball recruiting analyst at Rivals.com. Eric, do we got you? 
Yeah, I'm here. Hey, thanks so much for joining us, man. We appreciate you. How how you doing in this uh, this uncertain time? Struggling to uh, get back on the court or what? Yeah, yeah. You know, like everyone else, missing basketball and just doing what I can to stay busy and, you know, finding out more than anything how hard things like eighth grade math are. <laughs> what struggling with with that. I've got I've got I've got two daughters. I've got an eighth grader and a first grader that are at home. Uh, the first grader schoolwork is pretty manageable. The eighth graders is starting to get hard, but at least I'm getting to read The Hobbit for about the nine minutes time. Yeah, uh, math was was the reason why I chose to go the journalism path because I couldn't pass a class for for the life of me. But um, Eric, we were just talking about you know Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd, uh, you know choosing choosing that G League route over over college. Um, what we want to know from you or what your thoughts are, do you think that this this catches on with future classes and the top players in those future classes? Or uh, are they going to wait out and see how it works for Jalen and Isaiah before they start, you know, seriously considering this as a route? Yeah, I think um, yes and yes. Okay. <laughs> if, if, if we're being it, I mean, let's face it, the, the top guys, we all know this. We're, we're kidding ourselves if we think – college is what most of these guys dream up playing for. They dream up playing in the NBA. So anything that they feel can get them closer to that dream and closer to touching some money to help out their family and things of that nature, they're going to be really interested in. And obviously this, this G league thing is just an evolution of what we've seen happening over the last four or five years, right? With Mm -hmm. guys going overseas, guys taking a year off the train or, or whatever it may be that, there are more and more alternative routes and it's the NBA's response to want to keep it in-house as much as possible for these young guys developing. But also there's something to be said. Um, if you bring up somebody like Zion Williamson as, as a test case, what he was able to do for his marketability and building his brand by playing a year at Duke, we don't know yet whether something like that can be accomplished going this G league route. So there's lots of factors to consider in this, but for guys who really weren't feeling college, which I think most people for quite some time have thought a guy like Jalen Green or Isaiah Todd really wasn't very interested in going to college, you know, this this presents itself as a really nice opportunity. Yeah. How do you think colleges now maybe change their, you know, recruiting, I guess, platform or um, you know, do they do they weigh that and be like, okay, we need a, a second or third option just in case these you know, top 10 guys that we're targeting, say like a UK or a Duke or North Carolina, um, do they start digging deeper and looking more into the the top 30, top 40, top 50 guys? I think absolutely they need to do that. I think it's something that they should have been doing long ago, quite frankly. Um, mm-hmm. one, and, one and done has been nice. It brings lots of hype to the program and you can certainly be competitive, but it's awfully tough to win a national championship or even make a final four relying on one and done guys every year. And I I think that's being proven with things. Mm -hmm. And eventually, whether it's 2022 or or I think actually most likely 2024 when the collective bargaining agreement changes, eventually it's not just going to be a G league path. that's open. Eventually the NBA is going to open things back up to take guys out of high school, unless this G league thing just totally takes off and everyone's cool with that. And I've felt for a while now that schools need to be adapting to that. And, and yeah, you want the best talent possible. Like don't, don't shy away from recruiting some one and done guys, but especially the top five, the top 10 guys, I think you better really be doing your homework to make sure that college is exactly what they want to do. 
and understand now that you're you're not just competing against overseas, you're competing against the NBA now, that they're right. actively dipping their toes in the market. And you've got to change things like, yeah, you can recruit some of those guys, but you can't you can't build up your recruiting class around them. Like look how much time Memphis spent chasing a guy like Jalen Green. And that's not even a Duke or a Kentucky. Now that's 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 a that's a pretty critical blow to spend that much time recruiting a guy and then he goes to the G League. Yeah. So I think a, a switch is very much so warranted, and it's something that I think should have been being reacted to a while ago versus just now. You know, yeah. more balance is good. Yeah. Ronnie, pop in here. Yeah. Um, speaking of 220, Eric, uh, obviously we have this current situation where some of these guys are not going to be in part of that recruiting class. Now, obviously, the same two, three, four schools are at the top, always have good players. But who are the big winners, you think, so in this 220 class? Who really did a good job considering, um, you know, what they expected to get and maybe, uh, you know, what the what the public or what people thought they would end up getting? What what college did a really good job this year, in your opinion? Yeah, I think, I think you've got to start up near the top with Oklahoma State, who, at least on rivals, currently has a top five recruiting class in the country. You know, Mike Boynton made a pretty bold move when he hired Canny, Cannon Cunningham as an assistant coach. And I think we all know that that was very much predicated on the hope that he would land Cade Cunningham, our number one player, as a, as a result of doing so. But it's not just about Cade. It's about getting some good guys to go around him. And they've done that. You know, Matthew Alexander Moncrief from Canada really stands out as a guy. So they're one that I think, you know, there's a bullseye on their back about this better work and it seems to have worked for them so far. And, you know, now the next step is going to be, okay, it's got to work on the floor. So they're one that maybe people don't think about as much. Um, I think Arkansas with Eric Musselman in his first year, it was coinciding with a a pretty historic year for in-state talent. And he cleaned up on all those guys and got a, got a, um, a top 10 class. Um, Texas Tech, you see, is building off of the momentum they gained from, a uh, a final four a year ago and then on the west coast stanford and arizona state certainly arizona state you've got josh christopher and marcus bagley and it's only a two-man class of high schoolers but it'd be hard to do much better than they did on that one and then with stanford you know getting zaire here and beating out west coast powers like arizona or national power like north carolina or have you to to get him is a real is a real big deal. So some those are some of the ones that kind of stand out here recently to me. That makes sense, and uh, thank you for covering coming across the board there, uh, Eric. Uh, now let's go to uh, maybe a lesser tier type of players, and obviously with this uncertainty with COVID nineteen, um, I know you've probably been getting phone calls or emails, etc. To Eric, what's going on? What do you think is going to happen next season? Whether it's high school. Or, coaches or college coaches or travel coaches are some of these on the fence uh d2 naia or d2 d1 guys realizing that it may not happen the way they want it like are is it coming to the reality yet for some of these guys that junior college might be on the horizon what's your take there uh not yet uh it should be um because i think anybody who is looking at this objectively and has an understanding of how things work, work has got to understand that 
there's going to be a lot of guys left out. Um, there's a lot of guys who are transferring right now that are going to be left with no place to go, quite frankly. Um, you know, you look at some of these transfers and you see a guy who averaged maybe three points and three rebounds a game at a low major school as a sophomore, you know, where, where the heck does he think he's going? What, what, what does he think his market is? You know what I mean? Um, and if you're an unsigned senior right now, if you've got somewhere that, that loves you, maybe it's not quite the level you were hoping for, but if you've got somewhere that loves you and has room for you, you need to be jumping on that because here's what's about to happen. I'm, I know you guys are aware of on May 20th, they're going to be voting about the one-time exception rule for, for college transfers. Yep. And it's sounding more than likely that that's going to go through. When that goes through, we're going to see another tidal wave of transfers hit. It's just what it's going to be. And most schools that have openings left still even, and there aren't really that many that have anything left to begin with. Anyone has something left then they're going to, they're going to lean on guys that they have a book, you know, a resume of playing against college competition and schools are going to lean towards those guys over unproven high school guys. So we're absolutely going to have a lot of guys that are either going to end up having to go Division Two or Division Three or NAIA or whatever, or go to junior college, especially guys who are qualifiers that normally don't go to junior college route. They may have to suck it up and realize, you know, JUCO is a pretty good opportunity. And if you go in and handle business, you'll only have to be there for one year. And then you can still have three years of eligibility at a Division One school. And then also, you know, in all this is prep schools are going to be a big winner in this. And that opens up a whole nother thing about how careful kids are going to have to be to choose reputable prep schools that <laughs> have proven they can get guys into schools versus a lot of these places that are going to pop up by night that, you know, are just basically just skills training sessions with guys that people don't really know about, but they can talk slick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's a lot of sense. Obviously we see like, uh, kids out west a lot going to Brewster and things like that that are, like you said, reputable and been around. And let's hope that kids make good decisions. Um, Eric, now going in, looking forward, let's assume that there's a college season or some version of a college season in 2022-21. Do you see colleges trying to get a lot of, especially we'll see on that voting on May 20th, but do you see a lot of freshmen being asked to redshirt? Be, uh, because of this impending one-time transfer waiver, or do you just vision another group of big disgruntled, a big group of disgruntled kids who are looking to get into the portal the following year? Yeah, you know that's 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 a really good question, Ronnie. Um, I think that a lot of that is likely going to depend on when can kids actually get on campus and when can coaches start working with their players, um, because if it's it's pretty likely that we're not going to have the summer, right, for AAU basketball or for colleges to get guys on campus for a month or two, get them in summer school and get them going through summer workouts. And that's, that's really, really crucial for teams, you know, like you mentioned earlier, like the Dukes and the Kentuckys, for teams that are relying on one-and-done guys, not having a summer to work with these guys is a huge blow. So teams that have experience are going to have a huge advantage next year, I feel just because of how long it takes to bring guys up to speed. And you're also going to be dealing with months of inactivity before trying to bring guys up to speed. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a few more red shirts, but also, you know, it's, it's there's not going to be a change in the scholarship limit. So 
I think guys are going to still want to use anybody that they think can help them. But I think if I was a forward-thinking freshman who maybe wasn't going to play a lot, and now because of the situations, I'm probably going to play even less, I'd, I'd be a lot more open to redshirting myself. I think, though, at the end of the day, that redshirting, it's, it's such a tricky deal, um, especially at the higher-level programs. It's almost considered an insult or some kind of statement that you're not that you're not a good player to redshirt when we've got all kinds of examples of guys who redshirt and it really works out. But it's something that I think we need a few more months to figure out. But as for the transfer market, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's going to be popping again next year, no question. You know, another market that's, that's popping right now is the 221 commitments, especially out West. Um, we've seen Reese Dixon Waters and Malik Thomas uh, commit to USC and now Issa Silva is poised to make his announcement today. Um, do you think that this coronavirus um, thing is going to make more 221s make earlier decisions? Um, I don't know if it's going to make them make earlier decisions, and I've actually been a little bit surprised by how many early decisions. Like you say, you got Issa deciding to sit today. Um, four-star Pierre Brooks from Michigan is going to be deciding tomorrow, and it's like, you know, I think what we're seeing is the guys who are deciding right now are just like, hey, there's a school that I've always known I want to go to. Why am I even going to mess around with this? I can't take visits. You know, you can't really learn much on a virtual visit. It's really limited what schools can and can't show you. And at the end of the day, I don't know how many guys who are still in high school are going to make a pick based strictly off of virtual visits when they can't be there to to see people and get to know them a little bit. So it doesn't surprise you see, you know, the the – with with Dixon Waters and Malik Thompson, they're picking schools that are local and very familiar to them. You know, Issa, who we all think is is likely going to pick Stanford. You know, that's the school that was the first school to recruit him. Been all over him. A kid like Pierre Brooks, if he goes to Michigan State or Michigan or Xavier, they're all schools that are right there close to him that he's got a ton of personal experience with. So maybe not as much a bunch more early decisions, but I think it's going to regionalize recruitment more than we've ever seen before. You know, typically kids are generally going to stay closer to home versus leaving. You know, there's exceptions to everything, obviously, but I think in this 2021 class more than ever, man, you better hope that you've got a good class of players locally and you better hope that you've been working them hard early because I don't think quite as many guys are going to be looking to roam. That totally makes sense, Eric. Um, and, you know, I actually wouldn't – it would probably be a good thing for a lot of colleges if things became a little more regionalized. I think there's less misses and less, uh, you know, factors for why kids may not live up to snuff if they're a little more regionalized. So I agree with you there. Um, you know, obviously we have a lot of takes, just like the Michael Jordan Last Dance documentary. Everybody's an expert. Everybody has a quick reaction. Now, obviously when this Jalen Green announcement was made. You know, some said, hey, the NCAA is done. Hooray. And you hear all the you see you see see and read all these things on social media, uh, you know, kind of like the beginning of the end for college hoops as we know it. Uh, we know it's a bit of an overreaction. I'm thinking you probably agree with that. But on a scale of one to ten and ten being a huge overreaction, how much of that is an overreaction? The Green announcement. Probably about a 17. <laughs> um I mean, yeah. I don't know. As long as there's still people who grew up 
rooting and cheering for teams and wanting to be around other extremely like-minded individuals when it comes to what they want to do with passing the time and watching sports, college is still going to be huge. Now, I do think what maybe something like the Jalen Green stuff or, or kids going overseas does is hopefully it accelerates the process of uh, maybe the NCAA changing some rules up and, and getting a little more modern and current with things. But at the end of the day, I, I don't see college athletics going away anytime soon. You know, the, cons- the consumption of athletics, whether it be viewing online or, or people sitting in, in their basements and watching and things like that. Yeah, that's going to continue to evolve. But I don't think NCAA basketball and certainly not NCAA football is getting hurt anytime soon. Yeah. What do you what do you think college hoops looks like if – you know, Jalen Green and say Isaiah Todd both succeeded this G League route and more players start to start to go that way. Do you think that we start getting more, you know, three to four year guys and college basketball kind of goes back to maybe what it was in the 80s, 90s, whatever it may be? Yeah, I think so. I, I would definitely think that's the direction that it's heading. You know, we've already talked about some of the reasons schools are going to have to change, how they're recruiting a little bit. Um, I think when you also go in conjunction with the transfer rules and stuff, coaches are going to have to work extra hard to make sure that they're treating players right so that they mm-hmm. want to stick around and be there as, as third and fourth year guys. But I, I would anticipate the game getting older, but also it's not going to be some huge uh, loss of talent coming into college basketball. The, the G league route specifically they're only looking to take five, maybe seven guys a year. You know, I, I know I've spoken with Rod Strickland about it in the past as he's been around making his rounds and just talking to basketball people or whatever. You know, what is going to happen is we're going to see <laughs> now what we're going to have to do is we're going to see lots of people claiming, oh, yeah, you know, the G League wants me. You know, we talk to them and stuff like that. And we're going to have to be really kind of good about fact-checking those to see how legitimate that interest was or wasn't because – Un, 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 unchecked it's a win-win for the G League and the kid whether or not there's any serious interest because the kid gets some pop about ooh people are talking about him going pro and if you're the NBA and the G League you want as much news about this thing as possible so that the kids you are targeting know as much information but at the end of the day I, I do think we'll get towards an older game more than likely and I think yeah this this is what uh, we've had years of people claiming that one and done ruined college basketball, right? Right. Yes. And now, and now we've got, oh, the G League's going to ruin college basketball. You know, now it's, it's, it's still going to be here. Is it going to be the same? No, but it's still going to be overall pretty good product. And it's going to be something that people really enjoy. And as long as they have teams that they've grown up rooting for, those, those allegiances aren't likely to change too much, but, you know, for all the people who wanted the game to be older and have had the old, you know, oh, I want these guys to stick around long enough to get to know them. Well, you know, you're getting what you wish for. And it's, I'm going to be real interested to see how many of those people now complain about the best players not being in college basketball. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I'm sure it's going to be just complaints all the way around. But, uh, Eric, we appreciate you joining us, and uh, hopefully we can get back in a, in a gym soon. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Take care. Appreciate Thank it. You. Appreciate your time. Yep. Ronnie Eric's been around the game a long time, knows a lot, has a lot of good relationships. So hopefully 
people tune in and, you know, take heed to his advice and, and listen to what he said closely. Yeah. Uh, you know, he made some strong points. Uh, honestly, one of the strongest is yes, there's two twenties are going to have to be realistic. If you have a low, a late offer here, it's getting pretty late in the game, Devin. Um, you know, you got to take it and don't be, don't have your ego so involved that if they ask you to redshirt that it may be a good idea for you. You yeah. know, especially how about if the season is short, Devin, or or played in, you know, without fans? I wouldn't mind redshirting if I thought I was only going to realistically average five points a game. Yeah. Come back in 222, and and maybe I average 10 points a game, and yeah. my parents can actually see me fucking play. Yeah. <laughs> if And if this if this one-time transfer thing hits, and it's a it's a free transfer without sitting. You redshirt, then you fucking bolt and get yeah. out of there. I mean, the only guy who's been watching this year is Doctor Dinos. You know, like how do you know? You know what I mean? It's you just don't know exactly. So it it it's a it's a good option. I think Eric brought up some good points there. Uh, I think another good thing he brought up is that uh, we're gonna have all these wave of high school players saying, "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm uh, the G League's uh, looking at me." You know, and then you're gonna have these slapdick reporters reporting it yeah and putting it out there and right. they don't know any better on some goofy site or blog and right we're gonna have to watch that i think that was a good point he made and i the other strong point is obviously when we asked him you know is college basketball going away or changing as we know it he doesn't believe so and no, it's, gonna, it's, gonna, it's gonna shift a little bit but like you said there's the g league route if that is the the long term solution to whatever you know kids not wanting to go to college if that's a long term solution it's only taking five to seven guys you know yeah. but who knows if Doctor Dinos is gonna you know be writing about uh you know G League interest on nothing but net magazine I don't know man we're gonna have to we're gonna have to uh uh, uh you know do some digging and, and confirm his reporting um but again you know we gotta listen to what Dinos says um, on this COVID nineteen situation and just move forward as best as we can. Yeah, because, I mean, we're here in late April, and and here's my take, Devin, is um, Georgia, the state of Georgia is going to open back up soon, right? Some certain restaurants. That's, I mean, I, I hate to be a political guy, but that is so stupid. They're going to open, like, 24-hour businesses and, and gyms. That's the last places need to be open right now. So got, here's my take, Devin. Uh, just because something is open doesn't mean anybody has to go to it. You know, yeah. so, I mean, are, are we basically protecting ourselves for, against ourselves? Is that what, you know, certain like the federal government's trying to do in other governments where certain states are like, no, we need to open. So and then on the flip side, if if we don't open, if we open, let's say, in 221, um, you know, January 1st, 221, we open this thing back up. What are we opening it up to? Six, 70 percent of the businesses we know are going to be gone. So sure. there's, there's got to be somewhere in the middle that makes sense and same thing with the recruiting you know you're not Jalen green most kids are not Jalen green i tried to make that point on social media last week this is going to affect less than one percent of the recruitable athletes recruitable athletes so be smart about it don't be so have your ego involved so that you you can't look at maybe red shirting again look at scotty pippen look at dennis rodman you'll see that more in the couple of weeks like you never know, you know, especially if you're a younger senior. There's a lot yeah. of guys who are not physically dominant. Your college guy is going to bust you up. You know what I mean? It's just the truth. So well, look, 
yeah, I think another thing kids need to do is look at junior college as a serious option. Yeah. Um, and if, you know, you truly and, and strongly feel that that's beneath you, um, you know, do your research on prep schools yeah. and choose the right one. Make sure it's not a, you know, a fly, by uh, yeah. a, fly yeah. a strip mall prep school, as I like to call it, or a pop-up prep school. Um, do your research, you know, you know, um, make sure you talk, talk it over with, you know, your confidants and family and, and just make the right decision for you. But um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. And if we even get, you know, any summer basketball um, heading into the fall. Um, but Ronnie, uh, before we close out this episode, you and I talked to uh, Issa Silva Monday night uh, about his commitment. Um, he picked Stanford over Arizona, Texas, and I'm blanking on the last one. Do you remember the last one? Hang on, let me pull up his text. Arizona, Texas, and uh, Texas. Right? Yes, yeah, I said Texas. God, why am I why am I blanking on this, dude? I am just terrible. Yeah, he had four, I believe four schools in his four in his schools. Program. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up the text right now. Hang on, I'm just botching this one. Arkansas. That's why I was botching it. Arkansas. It's kind of yeah, a, Arkansas. A a little little bit bit yeah, it's not. That doesn't really scream Issa Silva to me. But again, we spoke to him on, on Monday, um, asked him some questions on his commitment to Stanford. Here's the interview. And Ronnie, we have the man himself on the line now. Issa Silva just committed to Stanford on our Ball is Life IG Live account with Kiki. Issa, congratulations on the commitment to the Pac-12 school. Um, when did you come to this decision? And um, you know, was it a difficult one or was Stanford one that always stood out to you? Uh, thank, uh, thank you, Demarani, first of all, for, um, for having me on the, the podcast. Um, you guys might not know, but I've, I've tuned into a couple, <laughs> but, uh, um, it was, I mean, it was a decision that, you know, obviously as a family, we came together and, you know, with, with my inner circle of people who we trust, we talked about it, but, um, you know, it's something that felt right. And, you know, it, it honestly didn't take a lot of thought for me to, um, just feel it in my gut and trust myself that this was going to be um, the spot for me and uh, you know the optimal way and the best way for me to reach my dreams. So um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm really excited with the choice and excited to get it happening. What exactly stood out about Stanford over your other uh, three schools, which were Arizona, uh, Arkansas, and that final one was Texas. Texas. What stood out about Stanford? Yeah. Um, it was just, I mean, first and foremost, they were, they were, they were pretty much there from the jump. Um, them being probably one of the closest Pac-12 schools to me, um, you know, they've kind of had an hobby for a while now. So, um, just building a relationship with all the coaches, I think from, like I was saying, like the video coordinators to the, um, you know, the managers to the players, like, it's just like a family environment. So, um, that, that really helped a lot in the decision-making. And then just their vision for me, I think, was um, one I might not get in another school. And that's, um, you know, them, me being the face and helping helping change the culture in a place um, like Stanford, which is, um, you know, the best university in the world. And to be able to be the face of a basketball program and change that, that was, um, you know, every person on staff had that vision for me. So from the head coach down, so that meant a lot to me. Ronnie, hop in here. Issa, yeah, you know, 
we appreciate you listening to the to the podcast here and there. We've obviously yes, watched you play uh, you know, over the course of the last couple of years. And obviously, you're going to be a table setter. Your passing is, is going to translate. Uh, but what part of your game do you see, like, that maybe is a little bit underrated that you're going to bring to the table or that people are going to be surprised about? For sure. Um, me, and, me and Devin always joke about it. Um, you know, he said he's going to go He's gonna go under screens, but um, you know, honestly, I think if um, I think I just have to do a good job of mixing mixing in my shooting ability with running the team and being you know the man who sets people up and make plays and shooting consistently that way. But I think playing off the ball, I can I can shoot the ball pretty well. So just trying to find that balance and just showing people like how capable of a shooter I am and um, how I can play on and off the ball, and I think. That's just going to help me in the long run and, you know, trying to become uh, a high-level NBA player and high-level college player. That's going to help help a team win. And um, I think that's the next step. So we just, me and my dad have just been working on that, just staying real consistent and disciplined. Um, I think as you're out on the circuit and especially once you come back to high school, you pick up a lot of bad habits just because um, you might have certain things that, that other kids don't have. So, you know, I'm excited to show people that part of my game and show them, show them how versatile I can be. And, um, yeah. I'm, I'm glad my shit-talking uh, motivated you to uh, get, <laughs> get, that, get that shot better. I'm very, I'm very happy I was able to do that. Um, yes. So, obviously, you know, we're in the middle of this coronavirus pandemic, and that's kind of put a halt to all of, you know, club basketball. And this is your last – this would have been your last go-around in club basketball heading into your senior year. Um, did that accelerate – your decision process because you weren't going to be able to be on that circuit for another year or was Stanford always a choice? You know, it, it, it did force the conversation, um, upon us and the family and uh, my trainer and a Like it, it forced us to talk about it. But, um, I was telling my parents, like, like there are some other schools coming in, some bigger name schools back East and like the other power five conferences. And I was just telling my parents, like, I don't know if that's the route I want to take and if that's like the best one for me to reach my dreams. So um, I couldn't see another school getting in the mix and just um, pitching the same thing that Stanford did and, you know, giving me the best opportunity like they have. But, um, you know, it definitely, it definitely forced me to think about it more. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. Ronnie, what else you got? Issa, you know, obviously you're super excited um, for this and for the next level. Uh, is, it, is this... A bigger relief at this point like just because of all the stuff's going on you're happy to be close close to home is the whole feeling more of a relief or you just feel more excited because yeah i like i'm gonna fulfill one of my dreams i'm going to a, a big time school and i'm gonna get a good education um i i, I think it's it's a step as i like to call it like i mean i try to be pretty self-compassionate myself like i work pretty hard to um you know be a player and you know play at a high major school so in that sense you know i'm really excited but you know in the end it's it's just another step closer in in you know my journey as a basketball player so um i'm just excited to get better and compete and um see just outwork everybody and um see how that that works eventually going to stack up and um see where that can take me so i'm i'm really excited and um happy with um happy with where I'm going and hopefully I could just, you know, translate and just keep working and working and working and, you know, be the best player I can be and uh, reach my dreams and goals. 
there's there's limited access to gyms right now or whatnot. Um, what little things are you doing uh, with your dad or individually that, that's kind of keeping you sharp and prepared in the case that you know we get summer basketball back um, right. and then heading into your senior year? Yeah, I think um, we've just been trying to stay prepared. Um, so my, my dad's kind of dealing with all this stuff right now um, with his profession. So um, he's just telling me to stay ready. So I've been uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and the weekends. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be able to work out with my weight trainer. Um, you know, he has much equipment. So he, we have both of my garages have space. So um, we actually just, we're just going to try to a little weight after the season. And then um, – Every other day, I work out with my skills trainer, John, and then, and pretty much every day, me and my dad have been doing the same uh, floater and shooting routine. So, you know, we've just been hammering in the fundamentals. And I think that's like, that's an important part that this time can help teach us is you know what's really important about the game. Mm-hmm. Just watching a lot of film, just being being on synergy and seeing uh, you know college players and NBA players and seeing the steps they have and the things they have that I don't have yet and that I'm going to develop. And, um, you know, that's been good, too. It's had a lot of time for film. Who are you studying the most right now? College or NBA? Both. Uh, college, I watch a lot of uh, Dave Pritchard. Uh, I watch some, uh, I watch Stanford stuff, uh, watching their offense, and uh, just how Ty Terry, how they use him and utilize him in the pick and roll. Nico um, Mannion. NBA wise, I've been watching Luca, um, pick and roll stuff, pick and roll reads with Trey Young, um, just different off ball actions with like old Steph and Clay, just how they move without the ball. So mm-hmm. a little bit of everybody. Nice to close to close this out, Issa. Um, if you're speaking to, you know, a group of Stanford fans, Stanford basketball fans, uh, describe what kind of player they're getting in Issa Silva. I'd say, a, you know, a creative player who's going to make plays, um, whether that's, um, you know, getting a deflection or, you know, making a nice pass or getting a steal and a layup or a three-point shot, just someone who's, like, creatively going to express himself on the basketball court. And uh, in doing so, he's going to compete and just, just try to win every game and um, outwork any player in college basketball. It's like poetry in motion. <laughs> Issa Silva, we appreciate the time, man. Congratulations on, on your commitment, and we're uh, wishing the best for you in the future. No, thank you, guys. Um, hope all is well, and hopefully I'll see you guys soon at some camps this summer. Hopefully. I, I, I like that. The, thank the, you, the skill summit, The thank skill you. summit might still be going, but we don't know. Well, I'll let you know. Yeah, I need to go. All right. I need that, I need that Hoops by Ugly t-shirt. Let's make it happen. <laughs> all right, man. All right, all right guys. Thank Later. you so much. Yeah, stay safe. Damn, and as you can see, Issa's a really well-spoken guy, uh, has very articulate. Um, it's not a surprise that he chooses Stanford just based on location, uh, based on academics, and based on his academic standing and, and what he brings to a program. I think he brings a lot to them. They obviously had a strong 220 class, and they're off to a good start in 221. Yeah, Issa, obviously, Ronnie, as you and I have seen over the last four years, developed into one of the best true point guards, regardless of class, in my opinion, in the country. Uh, Big-time passer, high IQ, uh, high IQ on and off the court, uh, becoming 
you know, East and I always joke with each other, as you guys heard in that interview, uh, when I, you know, I'm using air quotes, when I coached in the Bay versus LA game with Keith Wilkinson, our whole um, idea and, and uh, uh, you know, thing for Issa was to go under the screen and make him shoot. Don't let him get in the paint and be able to create for others or finish. It worked in our favor. We blasted the, the Bay team. And, um, uh, but it's really, you know, he's just a great kid and I'm, I'm happy for him and his family that he's going to uh, play in the pack 12 close to home. But, uh, Ronnie, I think unless you got anything else to add, I think we're good. Yeah. I think, uh, we hit a lot of points in, in this episode about, you know, fit, have your ego in check, um, using the past to learn about the past, to not make the same mistakes in the future and to see what else is out there. Uh, everybody can't be Jalen Green, obviously. You know, there's there's a path and place for everybody. Look at Scottie Pippen. Uh, I think our guest, Eric Bossy, made some strong points about, you know, maybe college goes back a little bit to the way it was, where you stay, guys stick around two, three seasons, you build affinity for them. I think a strong point he made was if you're a team that's relying on one and dunce, you just don't know what 220, 221 is going to look like. When are they going to get the guys on campus? Mm-hmm. There's only one guy out there I know that knows when those guys are going to be on campus. So, um, and we know who we're talking about. But besides, <laughs> you know, besides the, the point is nobody knows. Nobody knows. Um, yeah. And if you have players that are seasoned in school, you have a strong advantage in 220, 221. So, may not be a bad thing to go junior college and do two, three years after one year if you're a full qualifier yep you know that like like eric said that's not might not be a bad option if you have to go junior college is that bad if you know are you going to even have a summer or a fall to even a college to even see you so if you have something on the table you may you might want to well jump on it and like you said the guys who are ahead of the game and the guys who have an understanding of where they want to go like the malik thomases and isa silva's already pulled the trigger yep and while there's uncertainty of when we're going to get basketball back, there's no uncertainty on where you can find and listen to the In the Paint Show. We are on every streaming platform that you can imagine. Uh, SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, hit us up. Uh, give us a listen, give us a like and comment. And when we get back in the gym at some point, you can come up and talk shit to us and tell us how stupid we are or how smart we are. We appreciate uh, any and all commentary. Uh, Ronnie, but until next, actually, until we're going to have another one this week, until... Um, A couple days from now, the In the Paint Show with Ronnie and Devin is signing off.